0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Here is the text for our last story renewal. Matthew 1, 12 through 17. After the exile to Babylon, that is a key phrase today. After the exile to Babylon, Jaconiah was the father of Sheltael. Sheltael was the father of Zerubbabel. Now, if you're from Shelbyville, that's not a bad one. Not a, not a, you, can repron- you can pronounce that one, right? The nine o'clock got that too. Maybe made me really proud of that. Right, like right out of the gate, I had a joke, and everybody was on board with me, except probably anybody from Shelbabul, and they might <laughs> might not. Zerubbabel was the father of Abahud, Abahud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, or Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eliazar the father of Matthan, Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah." Now, for those of you, this might be your first pass in. What we've done with this series was taken Jesus' genealogy to identify people in that genealogy and that how God renewed them and their renewal story leads us to the birth of Christ, all right? So I hope this series will help some of you not arbitrarily skip over these genealogies with names you cannot pronounce, I had to listen to the U version, audio version, multiple times to get through even what I got through with you. What I want you to understand that in every in every genealogy, all stories are woven into the tapestry of God's story. Sure, not everybody's name grabs headlines. Your name might not grab headlines. My name doesn't grab any headlines. But we're in the process and the story of our renewal, renewing others, and we are in the bloodline of Christ. We're in the spiritual bloodline of Christ. And here, these people's names no doubt had to endure levels of spiritual opposition because every person, right, the enemy fought the birth of Christ being a reality. So each one of these in line would have had their own series of opposition, although we might not completely recognized, or been told what they were. Same with you. Same with you. If you're a follower of Christ, there's opposition to that bloodline being passed physically, spiritually, and the like that someone else, And but we're all woven together for this big tapestry of God. Zerubbabel is my focus today. If you've heard a message about Zerubbabel before, raise your hand. The, the person I just hired, she just blows it all up, right? Hand grenade. Oh, I have. What do you got to say? All right. So the phrase after the exile to Babylon is the key. Some of our other stories we went through, we people were brought like Rahab and Ruth, they were brought outside of the Jewish faith. And that's not that's not Zerubbabel's story. Zerubbabel is not the underdog here. Zerubbabel is in the in the line of Judah. Okay, so, so he, he is born in this kingly line. He is not an outsider, but yet he was born in exile. And so this will, end, will demonstrate that God um, can bring any of us from any place that we would can be considered empty and can set in motion, not just an individual renewal, but he can set forth a national renewal. Does our nation need renewal So doesn't that seem just too far-fetched of how we can be involved in a national renewal? It seems too far out there. So how does it begin? It begins when I'm renewed. And then it begins when my family is renewed. And then it goes forward when my church is renewed. And you know, you get enough individuals and families and churches, now you start seeing a city renewed, a county renewed, a region renewal. And you just, you peel that onion back and it comes down to, am I going to be renewed? What empty place do I feel like I find myself in? Where does that renewal come from? So Zerubbabel gets tasked with three main objectives. First ones I just labeled as go home. He's labeled with go home. He is, it, he is put in charge of leading the first wave of refugees. And I'll get to the backstory here in a second. The refugees from Babylon in back to Jerusalem. The second thing he's tasked with is rebuilding the, the, the altar of the temple that would have been destroyed. And when you, think, when you hear me say altar today, I want you to think about worship. And then he's tasked with rebuilding the, the temple itself. And when I say temple, I want you to think identity. Okay, so what happens when, well, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's hard preaching the 11 after 9 because I never know what I've said or not said in the right order. Um, so when you restore your worship, when you come home and you have your worship restored and you have your identity restored, then there is the presence of God and here becomes renewal. Renewal cannot take place outside of the presence of God. So when, when we're home and we have restored worship and restored identity, here comes the presence of God. Now for some history. My mother would be proud of this message because she taught me that context is everything. I have really fond memories of my, when my mom would teach and she, has, she always started a spiritual lesson with a history lesson. And I can still feel my eyes roll back in my head when she would do that. I, I like bottom lines. Where are my bottom line people? Right? I like bottom lines. So here's the problem with bottom lines. When bottom lines have no context, they turn into balloons. Which means when you don't pay enough attention to it and you kind of forget that you got it, it floats up to the rafters of a building you can't go get it from, or up into the stratosphere. So the best way for bottom lines to stay bottom lines is when they're anchored in context. And the context today for the message is the exile. Now, we're going to be going, it's going to appear that we're going to jump from place to place today, and it's because our Bibles are not written out in a chronological order, okay? They're, they're, they're organized around genres of literature, all right? So here's a quick chart, yes, history, charts, they all go together, all right? So... So the law is the the first five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law given. This is kind of how God relates to the people. And then that's in in chronological order. And then you go to the history of Israel, and that's in chronological order, all right? All the way Joshua through Esther for St. Chronicles, for St. Samuel, for St. Kings. And you go all through this, Ruth. um, And then you get this section called poetry. And I told you when we went through the Psalms, poetry's not my thing. I, 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 again, bottom line. I want a bottom line. Now, I love some of the lines and songs, like from the from rising of the sun to the setting of the same. I th- that's a great line, right? That's a great line. But I know where in Scripture where that anchor is, so I, I, can, I can like that line. So the poetry here, the poetry is all written during the history. And when we did the Psalms, the message on the Psalms, it was when I connected the Psalm to its history that we went, aha. That's where that came from, right? Well, the same thing with the prophets. So the last of the book, from Isaiah to Malachi, is calling Israel back. Here are the prophets, their major and minor prophets. Not because some were better than others. The size and the length of what they wrote. So the major prophets wrote a lot, and the minor prophets wrote a little. But the thing is, they wrote during the history of Joshua through Esther. Okay? So you read this prophecy. You, you know, I know Haggai is probably one of your favorites. And and you start reading the history, and you start reading Haggai, and you're going, what is this dude saying? Well, unless you put Haggai with Ezra, you don't know. When you put it with Ezra, you go, wow. Okay? So we're going to put, we're we're going to learn our history of Zerubbabel from Ezra, but how God speaks and what he has to say, we're going to learn it through the prophets. We're going to start with Jeremiah, which is way over here. We're going to hit a little Ezra, and we're going to be way over here in Haggai and Zechariah. So if you, if, you, if you didn't come, well, I'll just move on. It's going to be, you're going to have to hang with me here. All right. Jeremiah is one of the, there is a verse in Jeremiah that, that resonates with so many followers of Christ that it, it kind of is the recognizable verse in Jeremiah. It becomes some people will create their, what they would call their life verse out of Jeremiah. Any, Jeremiah 29, 11, anybody that have put this as our life verse? Anybody in the room? There's several always. Okay, listen. Here's the, here's the verse because you go, I want it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Like, want it. Like, right? Give it to me. Here's the issue with that promise. The context of the promise is a, is a hard, hard place. God speaks to Jeremiah. He's a young man. He says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. He literally says that in Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah becomes, it is the longest book of the Bible. I find that interesting. God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and I'm going to talk a while. And the prophecy in Jeremiah is that Israel was going to go through a 70 year exile. Why? Why? Well, there was a law that said every seventh year you were to let the land rest. It was a Sabbath for the land and a Sabbath for yourself. I learned this phrase only in, only in, in the Southeast, actually, from my mother in law, that when you don't purposely plant something and something comes up, it says it volunteers. All right? And so what they would eat and use was something the land volunteered. It was a demonstration of worship, it was a demonstration of trust. In fact, if if, uh, if I held your debt, I release you from your debt. It, it was, the, it was the, the consummate year of we all get a fresh start. The land's going to get a fresh start. You're going to get a fresh start. And here's the problem. For 490 years, they didn't do it. That's not that slipped my mind kind of time frame, <laughs> right? That is at some point... I'm going to do it my way. This was worship. When, when worship degrades, trust degrades. Okay? And when trust degrades, and we're going to worship somebody, and we're going to trust somebody, so when worship degrades and trust degrades, then we elevate ourselves in the position to be worshiped and trusted. Okay? And it will always impact presence. Always. And so the 70 years comes from, you missed this big deal to me 70 times. So the exile is going to be 70 years. Now that is a hard word. This is, I think, the consummate, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right? Every parent, at some level, has felt it or said it, or you didn't say it because your parents said it and you didn't believe them. And It does. But God understands, he knows completely that without this exile, they will not be restored to him. And so the promise that Jeremiah shares is best, is best recognized in even a minor context. And here it is 10, one verse prior, and then three verses later. Here it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now that is good news. I, I wrote, you'll have to back up a slide for me, Stephen. I wrote this earlier as I talked about worship and trust. All moral and spiritual failings will have their genesis in neglect of worship and trust. All moral and spiritual failings will have their genesis and a neglect of worship and trust. So God tells them, you're going in exile. But what I love is he gives, po- he gives pre-exile promises before this is going to happen for when after all this exile is over. That's a good dad. What does he say? Number one, he says, I'm going to come to you. And he says, I'm going to fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Like you're not going to start back at the end of the line. I'm going to bring you back to this place, my promised place for you. Three, and he says, I have got good plans for you that include a hope and a future. I've taught you this over the years at Gateway, that punishment and discipline come from different places. Punishment comes from a hard place. Discipline comes from a heart place. God does not punish his kids. But he loves us enough to discipline us. And it comes from a heart place. It comes from a place, and its genesis is to restore and renew. All right? And so he said, after this post-exile, here's what our relationship will look like. You're going to call on me, and I'm going to answer you. You will seek me with your whole heart, and I will be found by you. And to me, this ultimate promise is that it doesn't matter how far you have been scattered, I will bring you back. Boy, when I wrote that this week, I went, someone received that word today, that no matter how far you have been scattered, he's going to bring you back. That's a good word. That's a good word. All right. So here's two everyday truths to grasp. It's not rocket science. You know these. One, life is hard. Welcome to the revelation. Life is hard. But listen to this one. Life is harder when we stray from God's presence, path, and purposes. Life gets harder. It's harder. So here's three spiritual truths to hold on to. God's promises are good. God's promises aren't canceled in exile. God is always working his promise plan, always, even in exile, even in exile. So Jeremiah sets the stage, Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story, Ezra leads the first group back, so here's the thing, Babylon, who took them in captivity, is now Persia is the new world power on the scene, and Persia now conquers Babylon, and the ruling kind of, um, 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 operational procedures, if you will, of the Persians were different than the Babylonians. The Persians believe, let's send them back to their place, let them be productive, but they're still under our rule. So the first king of Persia, Cyrus says, no, let them go back. There's estimation two or three million Jews in captivity. Cyrus says, Zerubbabel, you know, you're the king. He's in this kingly line. Joshua is a priest. You lead the first group back, given him assignment. You go back. Rebuild your altar, rebuild your temple. I want you guys to be happy because you know, you're under my rule and I want you to guys go do this, so go. And it's very interesting that out of that number, we get a very specific number of how many actually returned and it was under 50,000. So I thought it'd be real bright and I did the math and I did the math wrong for the nine o'clock and the first person to greet me after service corrected my math. So... <laughs> So if I shy away from you at some point after service, you'll, you'll, know, you'll know why. You caught something else. But that is only about 2% probably of the return. I said 20% because it made a good point that I'll still try to make. <laughs> why wouldn't they? What, if you're given the opportunity to leave, why wouldn't you leave? Well, a high percentage of them would have been born in Babylon. How many people like change in here? I mean, you thrive on change. You just love change. Any love changers? Who you hate change? You would rather do nothing but, you don't want to change. Okay, you guys would still be an exile. <laughs> right? Because, because you're going to have to want something to change in your life because this has been your life. Good, bad, or indifferent, you know that life, you don't know that life. Right? All right, so, so that's, that's one thing. You know what they call it, early adapters, mid adapters, late adapters, right? I mean, my first iPhone was like seven. Right? I mean, I, I kind of held on to my Blackberry, right? So, so I'm, I'm kind of a mid-late adopter kind of guy. But all right, so they go. Now, why else? Well, because there was going to be a lot of work to do when they got back. They were going to a city with no walls, no altar, no temple. My point I was making was there's a, there's a, it turned into it a business principle, and then it turned into a sociological principle, and it, it applies everywhere. 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? The Pareto Principle. And so I thought 50,000 was 20% of two and a half million. Um, I was too anxious to make my point. It's 2%. So, so it kind of blows the point, except for the fact that always a few people end up doing a lot of stuff, right, is the ultimate principle. And these 2% people, they decide to go. So they go. They seven months to kind of get settled. Seven months to get settled. They get settled. And now Zerubbabel was like, okay, now it's time to rebuild the altar. And so they rebuild their altar. Now, why did you start with the altar? Well, it's kind of the Dave Ramsey principle, uh, snowball principle of uh, debt management, right? You start with your lowest, right? Because you kind of get a wind under your belt. A wall was not going to be an easy win. A whole temple structure was not going to be easy win. Altar, we can handle that. Okay, so they get the altar, they get it together, and they boob the altar, and so here comes the worship return. See, in exile, they had, could not worship, because worship was going to be tied to sacrifice, it was going to be tied to the temple, and they didn't have that. Okay, so not only did they not have an identity as a people, they were conquered, they did not have a temple. See, when you, when you had your own city, your own nation, you had a temple, and you had a version of your God in that temple, All right? But now you get defeated, that goes away because your God was, you know, weak, so now they're restoring worship and now, now life's good. Life's getting back to normal. Here's worship. So the altar is always going to represent worship and they renewed worship first. Well, they came back first, they renewed worship and now things are going good. And so, hey, why not we move on and build the temple? Let's do this. So they get, the, they get the resources they need, they start building the temple, and they finish the foundation of the temple, and here's a big deal, it's time for a celebration. So Zerubbabel is leading this charge, we're going to do this celebration, and then it's interesting what the book of Ezra says. That the, the wails of sorrow were loud enough to mix into the, the, the sounds of joy that, that no one could tell if people were crying or rejoicing. And... Everybody got so discouraged. So why would there be this? Well, there would have been people that had come back from exile that would have known the grandeur of Solomon's temple. Probably the grandest building you would guess that they would have ever, ever built as a nation, right? Nothing would have exceeded their temple. And the footprint that they're able to rebuild now, those people are are, they're grieving that it doesn't look like the old thing. But the people rejoicing, they had never seen that old temple. They had just known exile, and they're excited. And it was highly discouraging. Listen to this, discouragement. I don't want to, I don't want to blow it. So where is my line there? Discouragement feeds fear. And fear will foster to delay. And to get out of that stuck position, you need a word from the Lord. And all of us in here will have started something in our lifetime with some energy and some zest only to allow discouragement and then fear cause us to get stuck. Whether that's your walk with the Lord, people, their walks with the Lord does this, right? Right? So is that a bad thing? Have you ever seen any company's growth? We always want the stock market and the company's growth to do this, but it doesn't do that, does it? It does this. Our lives do that. But it's in this that we get discouraged, and if you stay in discouragement too long, then you get afraid. When you get afraid, then you're afraid to do anything, So you get stuck. And it takes a word of the Lord to get unstuck. And this message, for some of you, is going to be that word. Um, There becomes a prophetic shift that happens in Ezra, chapter 5. Here are two, how he opens this chapter. Now, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. Then Zerubbabel set out to work to rebuild the house of God. Now, between Ezra, the end of chapter four, when it says the work had stopped on the building, on the temple, to Ezra five, there was 13 years. 13 years, nothing's done on the temple. But something happens in Ezra five. And the odd part to me is Ezra doesn't tell us what Haggai said. You got to go to Haggai to find out what Haggai tells us. So that's where we're going. About 20 books to your right Haggai 1, 3, for 12. This is what Haggai said in that moment. You're following me? I know I'm, I, got, I got so many days and thinking you're back in his, history class. This, this inserts here Is it time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, I got to tell you, Haggai and Zechariah, they play good prophet and bad prophet, <laughs> like good, pro- good cop and bad cop. Haggai just comes in like a lot of prophets do and just goes, there you go, right? That's why so many of them were killed all throughout the Old Testament, right? Because they just showed up with, bam. And so he comes in, bam, and Zechariah will give us the encouragement. But I think most of us, to get unstuck, someone's got to get us off our mark. You with me? I mean, sometimes it takes a good sobering. And he's saying to them very sarcastically, You've had 13 years. You got your houses together, you added a you added a second garage. You put another story on, bought that extra car. You did this, you did that. Are you guys feeling good about yourself? Are you happy now? It's been 13 years. You've kind of added a lot of stuff. Excuse me, a lot of stuff. And then he says this, "Ah, but now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little." You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much. When you returned, you expected much, but see how it's turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my home, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and all the labor of your hands, then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of Joazadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant, the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, uh, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Don't read fear. The Hebrew is a respect and honor, which indicates that they had, the respect and honor had. Dwindled. Something got hard. They went to do this. They were a small percentage of people went to do this. And then it got hard. They got discouraged. There, there, there became this group of people around Israel that wrote letters back to the new king of Persia that said, if you let these insurgents continue this, there's going to be more trouble in the region. And they got afraid of the opposition they were having. They got intimidated by the task in front of them. And they just kind of let it go. And quite frankly, I'm not sure how much better, if better at all, were they than before they were then truly in exile. And here is when God says, I told you before, right? Nothing's over until God says it's over. And when he says it's over, it's over. And he kind of let them sit in that. For a period of time till I believe he knew they were ready to hear another word. And I can't help believe that possibly God's let you do all your stuff and all your things. And hopefully it hasn't been 13 years, whatever it's been, until now you're ready to hear another word. And his other word was get busy. You have been given an assignment You have a purpose, and you've let it sit and spin long enough. You're wondering why things aren't turning out the way you intended, and could it be because you're not who yet who I've created you to be or at where I have destined for you to go. And the sobering thing I wrote out and the way I wrote it out was, You got it up there? God is not going to let you thrive living the way you are when you are yet who he created you to be. Because he's a good father. And God is not going to let you thrive where you are when you aren't where he wants you to be. Why? Because he's a good father. And if that means that we've got to wrestle with some stuff and some things don't go as we wanted even hard, a hard place to be is better when we will turn our attentions back to God than to always stay in an easy place. So Haggai plays tough, tough guy. Here comes Zechariah with an encouraging approach. Zechariah receives four visions from God. And so when he says, verse, four says or verse six says, so he said to me, this is God speaking to Zachariah. He said, this is the word of the Lord for Zerubbabel. Give this word. This is a word for Zerubbabel. This was, he says, not by, my, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Let's pause. He's speaking now to the person. This person was charged with leading this. Does anybody like to do things your own way? All right. Even once we get a direction from God, Bob, it's not fair pointing to your wife. All right. Even when we get a word from the Lord, it is in our nature that we go, thanks, God. You wait right over here, and I will report back to you how this is going. Now, for me, and my personality, it was, I want to prove to you my worth. I want to prove to you my value. I don't want you to help me. Now, I don't say it out loud, but how I act is that way. do want you help me. I want to do this so I can come back to you and say, look what I've done for you. So that you can affirm and receive me as your son. And that's not how he works. And that's not how our relationship is with him. You are his son and daughter. And, and when he kind of says, hey, this is what's next, daughter. This is what's next, son. Whether it's your life spiritually or something he's called you to, in either way, because listen, when you come to Christ and we think, oh, it's going to be awesome. And then you go, people aren't nice to me. <laughs> and I didn't get that promotion. And my car had a dead battery Where is this life? And you can get stuck. He says, Zerubbabel, I know that I tapped you to bring these people back into this land and rebuild this stuff. And you are the man for the job. But I never intended for you to do it by yourself in your own power. So be encouraged because it's by my strength and my power that that's going to get done. And you're looking at all these piles of rubble. How much rubble would have been produced by a city's walls and a temple? A lot. You're looking at all that rubble. But what is all that rubble? What is that mountain before Zerubbabel? I will make it level. Boy, somebody loving Zechariah, right? We love in Zechariah. So then... Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Verse 10, who dares to despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see, it says chosen capstone, another translation will say, when they see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. Plumb line, right? If you think your walls are level and plumb in your house, try painting or putting on wallpaper. There, there aren't, right? I don't care who built your house. I don't care what you paid for. it. I guarantee you not all the walls are plumb. Plumb, this was, this was an ancient little tool, right? It would have been a string with a weight to see directly up and down. And the point he's trying to make is that would be the simplest of all beginnings. And in the beginnings, it's so easy for all of us to get discouraged. You start with vigor and enthusiasm, and it's going slower than you think. And what Zechariah, the word of the Lord Zechariah, he's saying, hey, don't don't be discouraged by that. Don't don't despise. Don't look negatively upon yourself or others in small beginnings. Rejoice. Rejoice that it has begun. This is why Ezra 5.3, they get busy, and they finish the temple, because the word of the Lord came to them. First in a hard word. You guys got here for a reason, and you've dropped dropped it. You let it go. You took care of your stuff. You didn't take care of my stuff. Man, isn't that an indictment for all of us? You're spending too much time taking care of your stuff, and what's sacrificing is my stuff. And guess what? You're going to find life in my stuff more than you're going to find life in your stuff. And don't don't believe me. I'm going to let you do your stuff long enough till you realize that your stuff ain't bringing you life. And then we're going to get busy on my stuff, and you're going to see things explode. It's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing word. So what turns around is another king of Persia opens this letter. He does his research and finds out that not only are they supposed to do this, Persia was supposed to pay for it. <laughs> and, so, and so he writes a letter back to the people complaining and says, no, 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 no. Not only are they supposed to do it, I did the research you asked me to do, and y'all all get busy helping pay for it too. And that's just the amazing thing God does. He doesn't just turn things around, man. Sometimes He just kind of blows them all up in a good way. And here, the last thing before I conclude swing back to Haggai, because he's not all that bad. Haggai says this in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, nothing had been more grand uh, than Solomon's temple. We already know this temple, until Herod comes in and kind of makes his renovations and adds the pool house and does everything Herod does to this temple, this temple was a modest temple. So how could Haggai say the glory of this place will be greater than the glory of 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 Solomon's temple? And here's how. Because Jesus walks into this temple. He walks slap dab in the middle, of, opens up a scroll handed to him, Isaiah. And he says, this, is, this is, um, happens now in the proclaiming of these words. This this is me. I am. And he's reading from Isaiah. Um, that's what made that house. Yes, when you can read in Chronicles and Kings, um, um, uh, maybe it's Chronicles, but where the dedication, Solomon dedicates this temple, it's a big deal. I mean, it's so powerful that people can't even stand up, so it's a big deal, and he says, but the glory of this house, because Jesus will walk into this house physically. So I can tell you, if you, if you, are, um, if you are mourning the loss of something in your life, because you don't believe it will ever come back and look anything like that. The word of the Lord to you today is the glory of this house, where he's bringing you to, will exceed the glory of that house. Now listen, in order for you to receive that, you have got to have the measuring eyes of Christ and not your own. Your eyes will fail you his will not. And if you're in a place of mourning, where are you guys, team? Come on up, play. Let me tell you, don't despise where you are and what God's starting. I love the fact when he said, after the exile, I will bring you back to this place. He didn't, listen, this place was the promised land. He didn't say, I'm gonna bring you back to the other side of the Red Sea or the other side of the Jordan for you to start this process over again. Obviously, you've gotten this wrong. You're gonna start at the back of the line. He didn't say that. I'm going to bring back to this place. I'm going to bring back to this promise. This is the promise I gave you. This is the promise you were living in. Okay. You didn't get it right that time, but we're going to get it right now. No stoppage there. All right. So, back to my bottom line people. I'm going to circle back to some bottom lines. Life is hard. Life is harder when we stray from God's presence and his path and his purposes but God's promises are good. God's promises aren't canceled in exile. God is always working his promise plan. Because when you read those other names after Zerubbabel, all of those names would have been through what's called the 400 years of silence, which if you take the last page in your Bible in the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first page, like if we go to, to, to Luke, one of the gospels, with um, God, an angel coming to Zechariah, different Zechariah, in the temple. There's 400 years where God doesn't speak. That's a long time. And yet, Zerubbabel had a son, and his son had a son, and his son had a son, and his son had a son. And the next guy has a son named Joseph. Joseph who marries Mary, whose son is Jesus. He always keeps working. No matter how quiet it may have seemed, no matter how it looks compared to what is in the past, no matter how you feel about where you are personally. No, man, he's steady. He is steady. He's always working his plan. So what, what are we to do with all this today? First I'd say is come home. Come home. It gives rubble the opportunity to go home and start something new. I tell you around here all the time, movement matters. This is the ultimate movement. Come home. Whether you've been away from the Lord, never known the Lord, away from his promise and his purpose for you, come home. You make the decision to come home. That's the biggest step to take. Then we rebuild the smallest thing that has the biggest impact. You rebuild the altar. What's it like to worship again? We should have altars all over the place. This shouldn't be the altar. This is our Sunday altar when you come to this church. But I should have an altar at work, an altar at home, an altar on the ball field, Right? I'm not talking about a physical place necessarily. I will go go kneel, but 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 where I am, I th- this is a place of of worship. I rebuild the altar. Worship is a matter of the heart. Where's our heart? Is it tied up in all the paneled houses and doing just the stuff that needs to be done in our life? Are we just churning at all of that? No. Restore the altar. You come home and restore what it means to worship, and then we restore. The temple is to restore our identity as sons and daughters of God and and to say it this way as Christians and stop hiding from that we've Jean and I and uh, Amy on occasion when she doesn't have enough money to eat by herself will come to lunch with us on Sunday and uh, we frequent a particular uh, Mexican restaurant quite often and it was last Sunday and so we're sitting in this booth and there's a big table, big family sitting here and, and, uh, and you know, when you got a big family, everything's all over the place, right? So they're all over the place. Food comes though and dad says, let's pray. And this big table of people, he's praying. I mean like, it's like if you didn't go to church on Sunday, that Sunday and you were near that table, you could check that box, right? Been <laughs> to church, and we walked walk past him on the way out. I hit him on the shoulder on the way out. I said, Dad, way to represent. How simple is that? They made that table an altar. And I don't care what everybody else is doing. But my family today, in this moment, we're going to thank God for the provision of what we're going to receive. And, and it's fine of whatever you think of me. And I'm just telling you, times are getting more difficult we think to do that but how much better a time to do that it's not to put our thumb in someone's face it's to give someone an out there is another way to walk through this stuff than possibly they're doing and I would never underestimate a public prayer at lunch at a Mexican restaurant so in a moment Is our time that we move as a part of our service. Altar is a place that you can come. Someone will pray with you at this altar. It might just be a hand on the back. It might be a voice in an ear saying, how can I pray for you specifically? But someone will stand with you in prayer. We have communion on our left, my left and our right in individual packs. We offer this every week as the ultimate sign of what Christ has done for us Follow that example to receive communion. You can receive communion. You can take it back to your seat. You can take it to the altar, however you want to take it. But for some of you, this, this was a word. And this is what should stir you. And I don't care if it's been 13 hours or 13 years, things can change if you move, if you move something here. So stand with me. My prayer is not a concluding prayer. It's to pray for you to receive will lead us in worship and I invite you to move. Father, this is your day. This is your people. You, you do not do random. Lord, you do not do coincidences. Someone hearing this on Thursday, two weeks from now, it's not a coincidence. Someone watching tonight at five, it's not a coincidence. You're in the room now. It's not a coincidence. Respond and move to the opportunity God has given you now. And Father, for these men and women and students, fulfill your promise to them in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.